Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Morning, everyone. Welcome to the 23rd episode of the Independent Advisors podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in our world of financial markets and financial planning. So I hope everyone had a happy, safe uh, holiday for Thanksgiving last week. Um, And good morning to you, Matt. Good morning, Mark. Um, so we'll take the first couple of minutes just to uh, share uh, performance numbers for um, the month of November since we are into December now. So all of these numbers are as of the market close on November 30th, and that is from StockCharts.com. So the S&P 500 index is up 3.4% for the month of November and up 25.3% for the year. The Dow was up 4.11% for the month and up 23.05% for the year. The NASDAQ up 4.5% for the month of November and up 30.6% for the year. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 was up 4.07% in November and up 21.99% for the year. The International Index X United States was up only 1.09% for the month and is up 15.4% for the year. The uh, three-month T-bill currently sitting at 1.6%. Two-year Treasury yield at 1.61% and the 10-year Treasury yield at 1.83%. So stocks continue uh, to hover near all-time highs, Matt. We have had a little bit of a pullback here the last couple of days with some people saying it's, um, you know, Trump saying that there's not going to be a China deal done before, um, you know, the election in 2020 and round and round we go again on this carousel of China trade news. We've seen it so many times, this movie, right? Yeah, it's really kind of numb now. I'm numb to it where I, it I think doesn't the market's really... getting there too, you know? Yeah. I think the volatility you saw the past couple of days and some of the notes I made for the podcast regarding this is, you know, expect market volatility going into the December 15th, you know, trade tariff deadline. It's probably going to go up. You know, because I think what Trump's doing is he's trying to use the leverage of that predetermined deadline of December 15th, where the U.S. will automatically impose additional tariffs as his leverage to get a phase one deal signed. Mm -hmm. So I would just expect more volatility leading up to that date. Yeah, yeah. Um, Another interesting point over the last couple of weeks, I know previously we've talked about uh, small cap stocks and transport stocks uh, tending to confirm breakouts. And when they do confirm uh, index, major index breakouts like the S&P or the Dow Jones, um, typically times are good ahead. And we did get a breakout um, in small cap stocks, and I'm referencing the IWM ETF uh, that tracks the Russell 2000. And you know, just for listeners, again, the IWM or the iShares Russell 2000 ETF seeks to track the investment results um, of an index composed of small capitalization U.S. equities. So ETFs are exchange traded funds are bought and sold during market hours. 
um, during which the market price of the ETF is determined by the value of the fund's holdings, as well as the supply and demand in the market for the ETF. Um, so while the share price is largely determined by the underlying value of the portfolio, there may be some differences from time to time, especially during times of market volatility. Absolutely. So Good it's not out. exactly, you know, cent for cent going to be the same exact thing as the Russell 2000, but it good does a pretty out. good job yep. of tracking it. Um, and I'm going to post this chart on the show notes for episode 23. So if you go to www.jessupwealthmanagement.com, hover over the podcast tab and click show notes, um, you'll see this chart of the IWM um, or the iShares Russell 2000 ETF. And what I've done is highlight red arrows where each time this year, uh, the IWM has been um, facing a little bit of resistance. And there's a pretty clear line where that happened. But we just got a breakout um, from this base we've had all year, Matt. And yep, yep. you know that typically, uh, if that breakout holds, I think is pretty bullish for the markets. Absolutely. It's something we're going to watch closely. It's one of our indicators, mm -hmm. per se, behind the scenes. So I think this chart, the way that you illustrated it for, for listeners when they pull it up online, it's very clear to me, but, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's good you, what you highlighted. Yeah. And what was interesting, I thought, which I think could add maybe a little bit more weight to this breakout is that every time we've gotten China trade news um, throughout 2019, small caps have tended to sell off a little harder than large caps because small cap companies would be more affected by that mm -hmm. and by affected by tariffs. But um, in this instance, this past week, small caps actually held up relatively well yeah. uh, compared yeah. to the major indexes. So um, I think that that's, that's usually a bullish sign for equities. So we'll see, um, see where that leads us. And I think like we talked about, I think a podcast or two ago, you might have some people trying to chase you know, returns who maybe have underperformed this year, who are kind of getting more aggressive. And, you know, they're going from large size companies to small size companies. And especially now with this kind of technical breakout that you're highlighting, you know, something that is worthy to note. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought it up. Yep. Um, so moving on to uh, articles, tweets and research from the week, I'll let you um, go with your stuff, Matt, since I uh, didn't have much this week. So all right. Um, so I got a couple things, listeners. The first thing is a note from Brad McMillan. Um, I think very highly of Brad. He is the chief investment officer of Commonwealth, which is our broker dealer. And um, I think the guy's a rock star. So this is a note that he posted on November 29th, Mark, 2.19 p.m. He has a blog called The Independent Market Observer. It's really good. But the point I want to make about this for listeners is his research piece talks about two different opinions about the current market. So Mark, one is bullish and is from Goldman Sachs, and the other is bearish, calling for a 2008-like event for the markets from Franklin Templeton Asset Management. What I wanted to point out is the following points that Brad made at the end of this note, and I'm going to quote, the fact is, we won't know which premise is correct until the outcome arrives. But that's the point. Don't try to time the market. Stay invested. Stay disciplined. And know what you own. My takeaway is that investing is a waiting game, whether that means watching for signals within the portfolios or watching the markets for triggers, end quote. Any comment? Yeah, I think that's a great point um, because – in you know, in addition to this, I was listening to a podcast a week or a couple of weeks ago, and I can't remember who it was, but they were talking about, um, I think it was J, 
JP Morgan maybe or some major bank put together like a timeline of big like hedge fund managers or economists calling what's going to uh, happen in the market I and love it. how I many times they I were wrong. It. So it's just, again, we talked about it before, but people just need to take everything what they hear in the media or with hedge fund managers or economists with a grain of salt, because a lot of the time people are doing this for publicity. Um, so kind of drown out that noise and just pay attention to what's actually happening in the Yeah, because they the could change, you could change your, their tune in a dime. Right, right. So yeah. I think that's a great, great point by Brad. And just to note, um, I will link to this blog by Brad um, on the show notes page as well. I love it. That's um, great. So people can read the full article to see the two differing opinions. Um, in greater detail. Yeah. No, yeah. that's great, Mark. Thank you. Uh, two more notes. One's again from uh, Braver Capital Management on uh, November 29th, 11.57 a.m. It's calling for a strong holiday spending season. So why did I want to highlight this, Mark, for listeners? They need to understand that we view, you and I view the U.S. consumer in general as good slash strong right now, right? Mm -hmm. So I think this this note kind of uh, puts that into perspective. So I'm going to read it. Quote, in the weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas last year, the U.S. consumer shelled out a record $850 billion at the stores, both brick and mortar and online. After factoring in 2019's continued income gains, an economy that's averaging over 167,000 new jobs every month, despite economists' contentions that we're already at full employment, we, we being braver, expect a reasonably good and possibly record-setting holiday shopping season. In fact, early estimates show an American consumers are projected to spend a chart-topping $1 trillion at the checkout over the next month or so, end quote. So any comments there, Mark? Yeah, it's a big number. It's a big number. <laughs> so again, where this leads to is, you know, some of, say, uh, companies that clients might own that, uh, you know, sell to the consumer, you know, they could have good numbers potentially mm -hmm. if this comes true. Yeah. And just, you know, in terms of, you know, looking at this from of where we live, I know that, you know, me and you talked on Black Friday and people at some points couldn't even get into malls here in Dayton because it was so jam packed. Yeah, we're talking like at midnight. Right. On uh, things. Yeah. On the night of Thanksgiving. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there were literally malls that were turning people away here in Ohio. Mm -hmm. They just there's no parking spots. They were bussing them in from a place that's a mile down the street, I heard. Yeah. And we talked to some people who had consistently gone to this specific ball for many years, and this is the first time they've ever experienced that. Yeah. So that's just the anecdotal evidence that you and I are seeing that, you know, it's pointing to a potentially strong holiday spending period. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. All right, I got one more note. This one's from Argus. Argus Research is an independent research firm that we subscribe to. This note is from November 29th. And it was kind of their their market update, Mark. And what I want to share with listeners is this. They said, with earnings appearing to be poised to resume growth in the coming quarters, their fair value bogey for this bull market should also move higher. That would allow additional appreciation in major indices without triggering, triggering evaluation alarms. Bull markets do not tend to die from old age alone. And you've commented on this before, Mark nor from modest overvaluation. Bull markets can die from extenuous events such as a recession or big spikes in inflation. At present, the risk of inflation appears limited, and the only issue surrounding inflation may be that it's too low. 
Last sentence. With fundamentals should remain strong as the new year begins, every turn of the calendar presents fundamental and technical challenges to stocks. Be mindful of the risks and challenges ahead. They remain positive, they being Argus, on the overall stock market into year end and beyond. Mm -hmm. I thought an interesting note. Um, Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, because, um, you know, how many times have we heard since... I don't know, 2016 or 2017, that the market was fundamentally overvalued. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we have companies like uh, like Roku, for example, that their PE ratio is nuts, but yet it's up, like what, almost 200% year to date or something? Sure. So it's like, it's, it just makes like, this is one of those years that just makes me wonder, you know, like... Who can really tell if the market's overvalued or undervalued, you know? When you're you're talking, this is what came to mind. I literally remember um, listening to a research piece in 2009 regarding peak profit margins. Mm -hmm. And a lot – this was not just one firm. This was multiple firms. And they were literally talking about how – Profit margins as a whole could not get any better, Mark, right? (laughs) And it almost – the thesis when I kind of read it was like, well, all the technological um, productivity, that's all out there. It's not going to get any better than this. Mm -hmm. And I'm using that as an example because I I think that's dangerous, right, to have that that sort of premise. Yeah. So what I'll say is this. You know, there's always going to be, from our view – pockets of the market that you and I believe are overvalued. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be pockets of the market that you and I believe are either fair valued or undervalued. And I think that's what makes the market great is that you and I are active managers. We're not just buying the index. We're not just buying a basket of, of the market. And I think that with the way that we manage money, that's what we enjoy and I don't know, I think you would have added to that. I just, I love that side of it though. Well, yeah, I do too, because if everyone was on the same side of every trade, then we wouldn't have a, a market, right? You know, if everyone was on the same side of everything, then there wouldn't be any anyone to sell anything to or buy yeah. something from. So yep. that's what makes the market the market, I think. I love it. I love being an active manager. Yeah, me too. Um, those are the pieces I had for uh, tweets and research, Mark. So I'm going to set it back to you. Yeah. Um, so... Moving on to the financial planning topic of the week, um, I thought it was timely that the IRS recently just released some key numbers for 2020 um, for things like contribution limits to um, retirement plans, uh, phase outs, um, and more regarding people's finances that I think everyone should be aware of going into 2020. So I just wanted to go over some of the key numbers that were uh, released. And again, if you want to see all of these key numbers um, on the PDF that I'm going off of right now, you can go to our website, um, jessupwealthmanagement.com and click the show notes tab under podcast and you'll find uh, the link for um, the PDF and it goes over, you know, income tax rates, uh, you know, small business tax rates, alternative minimum tax, uh, qualified business income, you know, health savings account, talks about retirement plan limits, IRA limits, 
um, and even goes into educational planning and federal estate and gift tax planning and Medicare or Medicaid, Social Security, all that stuff. So um, I'm only going to hit on a couple of the main points that I think would be most beneficial for everyone. But if you want to see the whole PDF there, um, you can go to our website and check that out. So the first thing I want to bring up is the standard deduction map. So for 2020, uh, the standard deduction for people who are married filing joint is $24,800. People who are filing single, the standard deduction is $12,400. And if you're filing head of household, it is $18,650. Okay. Um, The long-term capital gains and qualified dividend tax. Um, So if you are unmarried and you make more than $441,450, the capital gains rate uh, is taxed at 20%. And married filing jointly, if you make more than $496,600, the capital gains rate is also 20%. And again, uh, the capital gains rate only comes into play when you sell an investment in an after-tax account that you've held for longer than 12 months. If you hold an investment for shorter than 12 months in an after-tax account, it's going to be taxed at your ordinary income tax rate, which would be on this PDF as well. Yep. Uh, The 15% capital gains rate, if you're not married... Um, if you fall between the $40,001 and $441,450 and tax range uh, for income, your capital gains rate is 15%. If you're married filing joint, you can make between $80,001 and $496,600 and be taxed at the 15% capital gains rate. And if you are unmarried and make uh, less than $40,000, you will pay 0% in capital gains tax. And if you're married filing joint, if you make under $80,000, you will be taxed at 0% for capital gains. Um, So that's just another thing to look at that if you can, you know, I don't want to say manipulate, but if your income is under those rates, you know, some people aren't going to be paying, especially for retirees who aren't taking a lot of money from yep. their retirement accounts. Yep. Yep. Um, take you know, they can take advantage, take advantage of, of it, it now and, and, you know, talk to their advisor and say, hey, can I sell any of my gains at a 0% tax rate? Absolutely. Um, then one other thing I want to touch on, Matt, that a lot of people don't understand is that um, when you are... Uh, married filing joint and you make over $250,000 or you're single and make over $200,000, there's an additional 3.8% Medicare contribution tax that applies to that capital gains rate, right? So really, if you're paying the 20% capital gains rate, you're really paying 23.8% and the same with 15 so you have to add that on there if you do make more than 250000 if you're married, filing joint, or 200000 if you're single. Um, there is that extra Medicare tax that is tacked onto that Yep, that I think people need to be aware of. I wonder how much they raised with that last year. It's probably a lot. I, oh, man. It's probably a lot. I so bet you it is. We won't get into if that's for better or for worse. Uh, you can make that own decision, but that's the way the law is right now. That's the way it is. Um, health savings accounts. So Matt and I touched on this a little bit last week. 
Um, the max contribution limits, if you are um, under self-only coverage and you're younger than age 55, the max you can contribute to an HSA is $3,550. And if you are self-only coverage and you're between age 55 and 65, you can contribute $4,550. And remember, if you're over the age of 65, you are ineligible to contribute to an HSA. Got it. Um, if your family coverage, if you're younger than age 55, the maximum contribution limit is $7,100. And if you're age 55 to 65, the max contribution is $8,100. So moving on to retirement plan limits for 401ks, 457bs, and 403bs, uh, the elective deferral limit is $19,500 and the catch up for people over the age of 50 is $6,500, which both are up slightly from 2019. Um, the tr traditional and Roth IRA contribution limits are $6,000 uh, for the year, which stayed the same from 2019, as well as the catch up for ages 50 and above is $1,000. So no changes on the IRA or Roth IRA contribution limits. Um, there are, uh, it looks like slight changes in the IRA deduction phase out for active participants. So for example, Matt, when someone contributes to an IRA and they're a below a certain income limit, say they max out their IRA contribution at $6,000. Okay. If they're contributing to the pre-tax traditional IRA, they can deduct that from their income for the year because that's pre-tax money. That's right. However, there's certain limitations to that. If you make over a certain amount of money, only a portion or none of that would become deductible anymore. When you file your taxes. Exactly. Yes. So if you're filing single or head of household, um, the phase out for the deduction is anything over $65,000 and then you're fully phased out over $75,000. So if you make over $75,000 and you're single or head of household, you can't deduct anything from the the contribution to the IRA. Got it. If you're married, uh, filing joint, um, the phase out starts at $104,000. But once you reach $124,000 in joint income, um, you're no longer available to, or you're no longer eligible to deduct uh, that contribution to the IRA off your taxes for the year or off your income for the year. Okay. If that makes sense. Um, same thing goes for Roth contribution limits. So if you make over a certain amount of money, um, you're no longer eligible to contribute to a Roth IRA. Um, so if you're single, um, the phase out starts at $124,000, meaning you can only contribute a little bit to a Roth IRA. You can't max it out and contribute the full $6,000. Um, but then again, if you're single and you make more than $139,000, you're fully you, fa phased out you're and eligible. you're not eligible to contribute to a Roth IRA. So for those people who think that down the road, their income is going to go up and they have not opened a Roth IRA yet, it would be smart to open one, start making contributions um, and then down the road, you can do Roth conversions and that type of thing, which we'll sure. save for another day. But um, just something to think about. If you're married, filing joint and um, have income starting at uh, 196000 the phase out begins. But then uh, joint spouses are fully phased out and cannot contribute to a Roth IRA if they make more than $206,000. Okay. Yep. 
And the last thing I wanted to mention, Matt, that I thought was interesting here, um, this document gives a 2019 to 2020 total average yearly cost at a four-year college. Ooh, this is going to be good. Okay. So before I say that, I want you to take a guess. So for public in-state, public out-of-state, and private, total average yearly cost at a four-year college. What do you think it is? Across the nation. Yep, for public in-state. Let's start first with public in-state. Room and board, right? Yes. Or it says total average yearly cost, so I'm assuming assuming everything. 18,500. Okay. What about public out-of-state? 22,500. Okay. What about private? 33,000. Okay. So according to this data, you're extremely on the low end of it. So according to this document, uh, the total average yearly cost at a four-year college for public in-state is just under $22,000. The public out-of-state average, (laughs) $38,330. And private just under fifty thousand dollars oh my gosh yeah so i just thought i mean that's not really has to do with limits or anything but i just thought that was an interesting data point that just begs the point that college costs have been rising at a um pretty large tick here the past i mean past decade past 20 years really not sustainable you and i've talked about it before yeah it's funny we uh i have my uh, my puppy from home at the office. And when I was <laughs> reacting to this, he came over very Freaked quickly, out. listeners, and he was concerned that I, <laughs> something was wrong with me. He's concerned for all of you who have to save for, for your kid's college. No kidding. <laughs> um, we have one question uh, this week coming from um, Dennis. So Dennis, thank you again for your contribution to the, to the podcast. And just want to remind everyone that, you know, feel free to submit questions. Um, if they come up, if you have them, cause we'd love to answer, answer them here on the podcast. So, uh, Dennis asked the question, um, can the difference between the terms asset class versus asset type be discussed? How do these terms compare to asset category? Right. So I'll, I can start with this you one. You start and, and I'll just fill in the yeah. blank. So Dennis, asset class, I think, is um, going to be the different types and forms of assets. So for example, asset classes are equity, fixed income, cash, commodities, real estate, and currencies. Okay. And then asset categories, which I mean, asset class to me, asset class and asset type can be interchangeable. Yeah, broad categories. Yeah, broad categories. And then the uh, asset categories are going to be the the small subsets of each asset class. So for example, equities can be broken down into large, mid, and small cap. And we've talked about what that has meant on the podcast before. And then fixed income could be broken down into high yield bonds or investment grade bonds, municipal government bonds, that type of thing. So the asset type is the broad high level. And then the asset category is kind of the sub uh, levels underneath that. So do you want to add anything to that? The only thing, Dennis, I want to add, I think Mark did an excellent job. Um, Sometimes you might see um, when you uh, pull up an account online, you might see asset class and asset class primary. 
The difference between those two is the asset class primary will split if it's an equity, it splits between domestic equity and international equity. Mm -hmm. It's the only difference that I've seen. Yeah. But I think uh, broad strokes, I think Mark did a good job, Dennis. So asset class is going to be the, the general themes of equity, fixed income, cash, and so forth. And the asset category is going to actually break it down into the subsets. Yeah. Large cap blend, large mm -hmm. cap growth, and so right. forth. Right. Yeah. Hopefully that answered uh, your question, Dennis. Um, before we wrap up, Matt, is there anything you wanted to, to mention before we wrap it up for the week? Uh, no, just a couple things. I think uh, the Fed's meeting next week. I'm not expecting much fireworks uh, per se. So the Fed meets uh, December 10th and December 11th, Tuesday, Wednesday. There'll be a Fed announcement uh, December 11th at, um, at around 2. And I think as of right now, you and I are planning to record our next podcast, podcast number 24, next Wednesday. So that's the only thing that's kind of on the horizon. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to the 23rd episode of the Independent Advisors podcast from Matt, his dog, Louie, and myself. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll be back with you next week. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.